Good morning. Good to be here with you guys this morning. Um, my uh, son Jonathan, unfortunately, and wife Rachel had to stay back home because uh, he's sick this morning. Uh, we've been experiencing some, some crazy sickness the past three weeks, and so um, if you could be continuing to pray for us, uh, we'd uh, really appreciate it. Um, I'm very blessed to um, have been asked by Chris, Pastor Chris, to preach this morning. Um, I'm just going to pray for us again, um, and then we're going to jump right into Acts chapter 9, 1 through 19. Um, Father, thank you so much for your amazing word. Lord, it's the only thing that transforms us. It's the only thing that calls us into your heart. Lord, it's our only hope. And so, Lord, we come to you, God, asking you to do the work that only you can do. God, would you help us know you deeply, intimately, and passionately, that the world may come to know you, that Birmingham may come to know you, that our friends and neighbors might come to know you, King Jesus. We cry out to you for this this morning, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Um, If you could turn to Acts chapter 9, 1 through 19, I'm going to go ahead and read this to us. Acts chapter 9, 1 through 19 says this. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground And heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, answered Ananias, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who has appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Uh, here we find uh, a guy named Saul who was well known 
for his zeal, well known uh, for how much he wanted to serve God. He was known uh, as a Pharisee, which he was a religious teacher at that time, um, and just was trying to rise above all his contemporaries. And um, he had this desire to actually stamp out people who were starting to follow this man called Jesus. And um, here he is um, giving an account of uh, the scriptures, giving account of his testimony of what's going on with his life. Um, and so here he is breathing out these murderous threats, the scripture says. Um, and in that text, when it's talking about breathing out murderous threats, it's actually talking about breathing in murderous threats. And like, how the heck do you do that, right? Well, basically what it's saying is the very thing he breathed and lived for was to actually stamp out Christianity. I mean, this guy um, is basically, if you guys remember the old show, Dog the Bounty Hunter, Right. Remember that show? Awesome guy. I mean, he would hunt people down and find people. Right. Um, another way to describe this man is an evil Jewish Liam Neeson. Right. I mean, here this guy is hunting people down. He's going to find them. He's going to stamp them out. And uh, he's not just doing it in his hometown. He's saying, I'm willing to travel an eight days worth of traveling all the way to this other place called Damascus. And I'm willing to stamp it out even there. Can you imagine that, doing an eight-day travel? In a car today, you can travel from one point of the United States all the way to the other side of the United States. This is how zealous this man is. He is wanting to stamp out any type of hint of Christianity because he doesn't believe the gospel even though he's heard it. He doesn't believe all these truths that have been changing these people. And he's willing to go this far and this fast. But somehow, he meets this amazing Wonderful man on his road to sin, on his road to persecute. He wasn't really searching for Jesus, but can I tell you, Jesus was searching for him. Jesus met him on that road on his way to sin and commit sin to the Lord's people. And in this text, I think we see three amazing things that that speak to us today and speak to our culture. Three things that Jesus does when we uh, encounter him. Number one, Jesus lovingly confronts us. Number two, Jesus lovingly directs us. And number three, Jesus lovingly gives us some things. Amen? Three, three points I want us to remember today. Number one, Jesus lovingly confronts us. Here he is, gets up, knocks off. If he's riding a horse, we don't really know. The text does not say, but he falls to, his, uh, to the ground, and he's blinded by the light. And he knows this from the Old Testament, this God who dwells in unapproachable light, this God who is transfigured on the mountain, light shone so bright, brighter than the very sun itself, blinded him, and he was brought to his knees. And here he is, these words that he meditated and pondered for three days in fasting and prayer. Three days he was wondering just this little form of text, what was haunting him and he was trying to wrestle with. He said, he heard these words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When we take a look at this text, we realize, Saul, you're not persecuting Jesus. So how does that happen? Well, this thing called the gospel happened, right? The good news of Jesus, that God became a man in Christ Jesus, lived the life we could never live, died the death we should have died, and now gives the gifts we cannot earn. Here he is uh, 
encountering this truth that God has so become one with our sin, right, that he was crucified and judged for it on the cross, and now God has joined himself in holy union with us so that whatever the people of God go through that God himself goes through. Have you ever just pondered that? Have you ever thought about that? dwelled with that. Those are, this is the holy gospel reality that Paul is dwelling on, that whatever I do to the people of God is done to Jesus himself. Isn't that amazing? Like, who makes that kind of stuff up? Who binds themselves to the people of God? I remember um, uh, one time there was this bully uh, on the playground, and this was in Germany. My dad was stationed there. I come from a military uh, family, and there was this guy who was always beating up all the other kids. I was definitely terrified of him, and he was beating up my brother one time, right? And um, all of a sudden, my brother comes. He's cr- I see him running uh, to me. He's crying to me, and I'm terrified of this dude. But when I found out that he was touching my brother, you know what happened? Something in me rose up. This, you know, this little ninja started to get crazy, and I ran after this dude. And you know what happened to that dude? That dude ran away. You know why? Because touching my brother did something to me. It rose, it made me have a holy conviction. It made me, something happen on the inside of me to where I wanted to stop that because what would happen, what was happening to my brother was happening to also me. Amen. Jesus himself has bound us so much so that anything that ever happens to you, beloved, happens to him. That's the good and the bad. In Matthew 25, 40 through 45, Jesus talks about this. He says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to who? me. That's the good. The, the water and the uh, visits in prison because of persecution. Jesus said, you've done that to me. But also what they didn't do is also done to Jesus. This has massive implications, right? I mean, if we were to dwell on this one truth, um, we, a lot of our stuff in life would change. About, and our, our idea of church would change. Our idea of how much we attend, small group life would change. Some of us would enter into small group. Some of us would get into one another's lives even more. So I think dwelling on this truth, this gospel reality, puts light into our lives. A light that is so blinding, a light that is so amazing, that we'll have to go away and we'll have to dwell on it ourselves. And so here he is, dwelling, thinking, how great of a sinner he truly is. I mean, imagine that right now. He's dealing with this. I have personally done these things to Jesus himself. I've dragged Jesus away. I've separated Jesus away because these people are a part of Christ, members of his body. He is so joined. As much as Jesus became our sin, we love preaching that, right? He has become also one with us. And so here he is. Imagine again what he's dealing with. Saul had all the knowledge of Jesus, but now he's meeting Jesus. And what this transforms in him is instead of uh, holding people captive, he is now held captive. I mean, look at him. Helpless. Instead of uh, uh, giving blows to Jesus, now he will soon be taking blows for Jesus. On his way to sin, um, God rescues him. I remember uh, being on the college campus, living it up, partying up. I was a frat guy, you know, grew up in church and knew some things enough uh, to um, have a, be, a, be a miserable Christian or be a miserable person, had the weight of the law resting on my heart about how much I was doing these things wrong late at night. Um, after I would do them, I would get party and, and do what those guys did. And then all of a sudden, Jesus meets me through someone just simply coming to the fence post on the first day 
of my senior year. This girl comes across and sits outside. The music was too loud. She sits outside. I had uh, plans to sin like I had never sinned before. This was my senior year, right? And so I was going to do things. Like Van Wilder, if you would only imagine John Belushi, you know, like those are the movies. Those were the guys that I looked up to. And so uh, here this girl comes by and she basically sits beside the fence and she invites me to a Bible study. I'm like, what are you doing here at the frat house at 10 p.m. at night? Can I tell you the same way that Saul was going on his way to sin, Jesus, I was on my way to sin, and Jesus sent someone to confound me. Jesus lovingly confronts us. So Paul is feeling this confrontation. There's probably a weight of realizing what he did, but can I tell you that he's also realizing this, Jesus truly, deeply loves him. It's like, where do you get that? Did Jesus say, I love you? No, he doesn't, does he? But he, these words are mentioned. His name is mentioned twice. And what that means, usually in, in the text, um, if you look anywhere in the New Testament and Old Testament, when a name is mentioned twice, it's mentioned with a, a type of intimacy, a claim to intimacy, even so. That in 2 Samuel 18.33, when David cries out when his son dies, he says, Absalom, Absalom. Um, in Matthew 27.46, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? There's a claim to intimacy there. In Luke 6.46, the people, when they're saying that, hey, Lord, you should let us into heaven, they're saying, Lord, Lord, did we not? There's a claim to intimacy there. So what was Jesus doing when he was calling Saul's name? He was gently saying, Saul, I know you. I know everything about you, and I love you. Do you feel the weight of that? Imagine that. I love you. I know everything about you, and I love you. Can I tell you that's how Jesus feels about you this morning? You say, that's great for Saul, but what about me? How can I experience this right here? Well, through the word of God, the word of God not only speaks to Saul 2,000 years ago, it speaks to us. And some people desperately want to hear, what does God have to say to me? Can I tell you, he's saying the exact same things. He's calling us to the exact same truths. That the word of God pierces, it was enough to pierce his heart, and it pierces our heart right now. God is saying, I love you. I know everything about you. And he helps us confront lovingly, right, how we're doing with the church, how we're doing, we're doing with God's people. So I'm going to, I want you to do some real inventory checks this morning. Amen. I want you to look at how you're treating one another, how involved you are, um, because God takes it personally, how we treat the body of Christ. And this is not a call to uh, condemnation. This is a call to conviction. Amen. God desires for us to be rich and love towards one another. He died. Not, uh, he picked up his cross, not so that we wouldn't have to. He picked up his cross so that we would be able to. Not only do we see Jesus lovingly uh, confronting Saul, we see Jesus lovingly directing him. What I love about this Jesus is now he's not just, you know, a, a presidential candidate that we kind of vote in that, or, or, a, or, or a wise man that we kind of listen to and uh, philosophize about some things or some, a, a great teacher who teaches us some great things that we should apply to our lives. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And he begins to tell Saul, I'm going to tell you what you're going to have to do. Have you encountered that Jesus? A Jesus that doesn't just fit into the mold of uh, the easy convenience of the American life, but a Jesus who directs, a Jesus who calls, a Jesus who reigns king and supreme that we humbly submit to in every way possible. 
That's an amazing Jesus. And here's what he does. He's led blindly, and Jesus lovingly directs him. But can I tell you, Jesus behind the scenes is lovingly directing someone else. He's directing this guy named Ananias. He's directing him because Ananias has a prayer life, and he's praying to God, and God uh, confronts him and convicts him, and he says, hey, there's this guy named Saul who's, who's coming, and he has seen you laying hands on him and restoring his sight. It's amazing. What does a disciple's prayer life look like right here? Jesus directing us. Amen? Jesus calling the shots. Can I tell you, that's why prayer is so beautiful and important. Right? It's not enough to subscribe to certain truths within Scripture. But in our prayer life, do we sense the Holy Spirit of God directing us who we should go and talk to, who we should draw near to, who we should call out to? Because can I tell you, that's what God is about. God is not about building franchises. God is about his family. And he is wanting to build and die. I mean, he is wanting to build his family because he died to give his life for a family. God didn't want just one son. He wanted more than one. And so here he is being directed. And he's got a lot of excuses, right? I mean, how many of y'all, like, we got excuses to God, like, and none of them, right, are ever good enough. You know why? Because it's not about us, beloved. It's not about what we can offer God. God doesn't actually need us to accomplish his mission. And why does he ask us? Because he wants us. The same way you want your own children to be involved in the mission of your family. He wants us to be intimately involved in reaching those who are the worst terrorists, the biggest partiers, the biggest atheists. I remember being on the college campus and there's one guy named Rocky Peeler. I said, uh, you know, doing campus ministry for about five years, I was looking around and I know you can never discount anyone, right? But if there's anybody you could discount, I was like, it's that guy over there. He's the biggest partier. He'll never come to Jesus. And I was just challenged in that moment to pray for him. We start praying for him. His best friend on the football team gets saved, gets rocked by Jesus. He starts to ponder these realities of who King Jesus truly is. And I guarantee you, within it was uh, three weeks, he gave his life to Jesus. Why? Because God loves sinners. God desires to save. That God is working behind the scenes and God is directing. All because his friend came to him and started sharing the same truth. That God loved him and that God died for him. And um, the fact is, when God directs us, He sends us with authority. Did you know that you are walking in authority when you have a prayer life and you're walking with the King of Kings and you're going to the world and preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with one another? Did you know that? I remember one time, uh, one time my brother, um, you know, we we got caught playing video games and uh, our parents were always trying to get us off the Nintendo, uh, for those of you uh, that remember playing that. And we had that game Super Mario and and regular Mario. And uh, it was hard to get us off. When we were in trance, like we were connected and there was nothing anyone could do. My brother could not, I mean, he could dance around, jump around. But man, I was, I remember being laser focused on this. And uh, there was this one time, his dad, our dad told him, hey, it's time to get off the game. Like, it's time to come to eat dinner. And I would not get off, man. Here I am cranking it out, super entranced, right? Um, he goes back and tells my dad, well, he's not getting off. So you know what he does? He tells him uh, and he brings him. And then when he's coming into the room, he, my, my brother says, hey, dad said get off. And, I, and I'm just kind of ignoring him. And then all of a sudden I hear a voice. 
It's time to get off. You know what happened to me? Immediately, I shut it off. You know why? Because that was my dad's voice. Behind the scenes, God is working in you and through you. He is sending us as the people of God to our places where he is calling us. He is working behind the scenes in your life as you call out to him and pray to him more than just for the needs and wants that you want because he has a heart to reach the family, to reach his, this world. He's got a heart to reach his family, amen? So here he is. Jesus is lovingly directing him. He's directing Ananias. He's directing Saul. And we realize how much God loves them. We also see this as a third point. We see Jesus lovingly giving us something. Notice this, is that Jesus didn't give Paul everything he needed in that moment, did he? Did Jesus baptize Paul there? Did Jesus fill Paul with the Spirit there? Did Jesus do all these things? No, he sent Paul to be directed to a guy named Ananias. Why? Because he loves Ananias and he wants Ananias to be involved, right? And here we see Ananias giving Saul everything that that God wanted to give to him. God wanted him to be filled. God wanted him to uh, experience baptism. God wanted him to call upon Jesus' name. God wanted him through his hands, letting uh, this guy named Ananias lay hands on Saul. Can I tell you, we need that in the body of Christ. That's why we can't ignore Sundays. That's why we can't ignore small groups. That's why we've got to take these things seriously, because we need Ananias laying his hands on us. And we need to be an Ananias laying our hands on other people. Amen. We desperately need as the body of Christ to rise up and inherit all that God has for us. Because here's the truth. God's not going to give you everything in your quiet time. God's not going to give you everything, even though I love, uh, you know, the Internet and we can watch uh, certain sermons and receive a little bit from God. God is not going to give you everything you need based on you by yourself. It's not just you and God, beloved. In Hebrews, right, it talks about see to it that none of you all have a sinful, unbelieving heart. Who's he talking to? The leaders? No, he's talking to the entire body of Christ. He's saying, you all, y'all, like we like to say in the South, right? Y'all, y'all see to it that none of you, it's the church's responsibility to lovingly help one another follow Jesus. Not just Pastor Chris, not just some of the small group leaders, that God wants to do a work in you and through you. Let me ask you this question. Who's in your life laying their hands on you? Who's in your life helping you know Jesus? Who's placing their hands on you? And then let me ask you this question. Who are you placing your hands on? You see, Saul needed to see, and and there's these gospel revelations that help us see better, right? There's these truths that help us see better, that meeting with a brother or sister, man, something happens on the inside of us that we can get together in holy communion, and God will do a work simply over a simple meal, simply over uh, just meeting up with one another for coffee, simply just coming to small group. God begins to do an amazing work on the inside of us. There he could see, there he could be filled, and there he could be fed. So there are three realities, I believe this, is that when we have a real encounter with Jesus, we have 
to go away and be with him. Paul had to fast and pray. This is why I love Lent. He had to dwell with these amazing truths where inescapable truths that would change his life forever. Can I tell you, if we do the same thing, if, we're, if you are here and you're his sheep and you hear his voice today, something in you will say, man, I want to fast. I want to pray. I want to dwell with this truth because I know that these truths will lead me into what God's calling for me. Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you. Uh, Lord, that we're not trying to make anything happen in and of ourselves, But Father, um, your desire is uh, that we would experience you the same way that Saul experienced you. God, I pray we would know your truth, Lord, tomorrow on Monday morning, even even right now, Lord, I'm asking you that we would dwell on the truths, God, that we are one with you. God, that you had done all this work so that we could receive not only a father, but a family. God, would we rise up to all that you've called us to in Jesus' name.